I did a lot of research lately on the Jewish demon Lilith, and uh, it's for volume six of my book series, the Gravedigger series. I'm going to flash volume six cover up here, and you can see my conception of the, uh, uh, the demon Lilith. And uh, she features prominently in it, and it got me even more interested in Jewish folklore and mysticism, and especially demonology. It's so incredibly rich and complex and entertaining and witty and interesting, especially the stories of demons. Uh, Christians are certainly not the only ones who believe in demons. And so Jewish demons are sometimes fantastical, sometimes horrifying, sometimes funny. So let's dive right into Jewish hell. All right. Welcome to Fangs and Folklore. I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert in all things paranormal. I am a horror writer from the swampy, haunted depths of Louisiana, and I welcome you to my terrifying world. Let's uh, flash my uh, volume one of my series here. I'm a writer with books up on Amazon. Uh, it's a Gravedigger series. They're a failing punk rock band who uh, basically keep facing things like monsters, demons, things like that. It's horror comedy, super entertaining, a six-part series, all available audiobook, Kindle, and paper book, uh, paperback format. So check them out. I'd appreciate it. Also, a quick mention. Um, uh, first of all, of course, we're in the studios here of Fangs and Folklore in the basement of the abandoned castle in the haunted forest. I wanted to mention, it's been a couple of weeks since I've put an episode out, and that is because I've been writing a screenplay to desperately get it in to the deadline for a major competition, and I made it. <laughs> and uh, basically, you know, if you like my books, if you enjoy my work, and you're somehow related to the movie industry, the film industry, I would love to talk to you about my screenplay. I think it's really good. Uh, objectively, I know everyone thinks their work's good, <laughs> but I think it's clever objectively. And I also had a collaborating partner with it, so got some great input. So if you're associated with the film industry, please let me know, and I would love to talk to you about it. And then uh, finally, I'll mention Buy Me a Coffee. It's like the new Patreon. If you support my work, I'd appreciate it if you just scan that QR code and buy me a coffee. Cheap, fast, easy. Uh, YouTube Partner Program. Thanks and Folklore has been accepted to the YouTube Partner Program. That means we can start making money on this channel. The more subscribers we have, the better. The more you watch, the better. Like, subscribe. Please watch the, uh, the video to the end. It puts us higher up on the ranks in the algorithm. Click notifications. I really appreciate it. Um, right now, I do offer some membership uh, programs. If you click on membership there on YouTube, it'll tell you all about Thanks and Folklore's membership levels. And they're going to get better and better. I don't have any members yet, but as soon as I do, we're going to get better and better and even better. And once I get 1,000 subscribers, we can monetize videos through ads. So please tell all your friends. All right, enough of that. Put up quickly the copyright notice here. Okay. Now, <clears throat> one of the things I love about the Jewish tradition is the wonderful, rich lore, the mysticism, the rabbinic commentary, like the Talmuds and the Kabbalah. And there's a story I wanted to relate to you from the Talmuds, just to show you how interesting this stuff is. A rabbi is offering a hypothetical situation, a moral situation, to say, did this man and woman sin? So here's the situation. Man's up on his roof, right? You know, in the Middle East, you have flat roofs on the top of houses. And he's up there working, patching it up something. And it's midday, so he's super hot. All he has is a little loincloth on. And he just kind of, without meaning to, because, you know what, becomes erect, right? So, uh... <laughs> he slips. Well, he doesn't know below him in the next yard, a woman is sunbathing nude in her garden. He can't see her. He doesn't know that. She thinks she's privacy, has privacy. He slips, he falls, and he falls on top of the woman and happens to fall in such a way that they are now, um, you know, his, his, his member went inside of her, her member, <laughs> her genitalia, and they're having sex without meaning to. The question is, did they sin? If so, who sinned? <laughs> and is it a sin at all? If they're married, is it adultery? And so just to show you the interesting way that uh, Jewish mysticism is and thinks and asks these questions that a lot of people would be afraid to ask, but I love that kind of thing. 
Okay, so you can imagine. Let's start with the demon Lilith, because she's probably my favorite, and she probably is the most famous Jewish demon. The figure of Lilith comes from an ancient uh, Mesopotamian area um, she-demon, and in, in an earlier, uh, in a, the Akkadian language, uh, AKK, not Akkadian like here, Cajun, Louisiana, but Akkadian, Akkadian, Middle East, ancient uh, Mesopotamia, her name is Lilitu, Lilitu, and in Hebrew, of course, it becomes Lilit, all right? And the word itself, the old, old Akkadian word, might probably refers to a nocturnal bird of prey. We, we don't know its species, but it's probably what it refers to. So she's often portrayed as part bird. In fact, in, um, uh, since we're talking about the, the Jewish religion, we'll go to the Jewish scriptures. Isaiah 34, 14 talks about a place, a cursed place. The wild beasts of the desert shall meet with the jackals. The wild goat shall bleat to its companion. Also, the night creature shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. The word translated night creature in some English versions in Hebrew is Lilith. So the Lilith shall rest there. So a night bird of prey, maybe, a night demon. Focusing on the extra-canonical lore of Lilith, she was, here's what the story says, she was Adam's first wife, or the, the, wife of the, the first wife of the first man, before Eve. Unlike Eve, who was made from Adam's rib to be his companion, yet really beneath him, not, not made from the same ground clay as Adam, Adam's name means the groundling, the one from the ground, but Lilith was created from the same clay as Adam. They were designed to be equals, perfectly equal. However, God then tells her, okay, you're equal, but Adam is now your ruler. <laughs> he's the man, he's ahead of you, and you have to bear children for him, and, you know, children's going to hurt. So she resents it. She says, I'm, clearly, I'm not equal. So what does she do? She refuses to bear Adam's children, and she flees to the Garden of Eden, the paradise. In some versions, she finds the fallen archangel Samael, whom I mentioned in the previous episodes, the fallen archangel, thus a demon, and mates with him and uh, produces demon children. So for her disobedience, God cursed her. Um, to be, she cursed her to be kind of a demon who would spend her existence, spend eternity, killing and eating babies and men to represent her sin, right? Her anger at those two types. So she was a thief of babies, an eater of babies. If a baby died in unexplained circumstances, a lot of people in that area in that time would say, ah, Lilith got to it. So Lilith, yeah, she, uh, she's a nasty one, huh? Although, kind of sympathetic too because... God created her to be equal, then told her she's not equal, yet she desires to be equal. That's how she was made. Is she really to blame for rebelling? Is she really to blame for com complaining against God? And then, of course, God made Eve for Adam, a woman who was happy to be subservient to bear him children. And you know that story. All right, that's Lilith. She's the big one. Next, Agrat Batmalat. You may have heard of Agrabat. Uh, this name uh, appears in later in medieval Christian treatises and demonology. Agrat Bat Malat is a Hebrew name simply meaning Agrat, the daughter of Balat. In Hebrew, Bat, daughter, what, Bane, uh, son. So, in some of the writings of the rabbis, especially one Yalkut Hadash, who I believe was early Middle Ages, I could be wrong, she uh, is the dancing roof demon. She dances on roofs on Wednesday and uh, Saturday nights. Uh, she rides a chariot through the air, haunting it with a train of 18 demons following her. And she dances, um, um, she dances and howls, right? <laughs> and she's also the mistress of the sorceresses, call that, uh, in this legend of um, a demon, Lilith, who communicated, I'm sorry, this was uh, Agrat Bat Malat, who communicated magical secrets to a sorcerer named Amimar, who was a Jewish sorcerer. This is just another legend about her. In the Kabbalah, 
Uh, she is a queen of the demons, this Agrabat, and she is an angel of sacred prostitution. Sacred prostitution, huh? She mates with the archangel Samael, along with Lilith and Naamah. So she also mates with the, the fallen angel Samael. So there's some similarities between Lilith and Agrabat, right? Mm, something about, you know, angels and, and humans mating. It's, it's an interesting topic. Now, according to legend, if you remember, there's a lot of extra canonical meaning not in the Bible writings about King Solomon and his building of the temple. And in some of these legends, Solomon uh, conjured demons to help him build the temple, right? Build, you want, want to build fast, get some demons. They can, well, they can put up a high rise in a day, right? So um, Agarat is one of the demons, along with Lilith, who visited King Solomon disguised as prostitutes. And um, basically he found them out and put them inside of a lamp, like a genie, <laughs> and put, in, put them in a cave on the cliffs of the Dead Sea. Uh, later, um, the lamp was discovered by King David, and this is part of the related to the uh, Arabic um, legend about the lamp, the genie rubbing it, and the genie pops out, right, the jinn. Agrat, Agrabat mated with King David, according to legend, and bore him a demonic son, Asmodeus, whom you may remember was in our last episodes. Wow, that's quite a uh, genealogy there, huh? Quite a pedigree. All right, great. Next one, Baal Berit. Now, this one is, I think, is very interesting. Because it's a good example of how the gods of some religions become the demons of other religions, right? And a good, um, there's a story about a Christian Catholic missionary who goes to Africa to try to convert the locals, right? And uh, as he's walking through the, the jungle, I guess these days we call it a rainforest, but walking through the wilderness, he comes across an African um, shaman, shaman, you know, a, a local religious person, who's of course a black person who's got white paint all over him. And here's the priest, a white man in a black robe with a collar. And they both pause because they each think the other one is the devil. Right? It just goes to show you that, you know, a lot of what we consider demons in religions are just the gods of other religions. Demonize them. Now, what's fascinating is that Baal was an old ancient name for the God of the Bible. Uh, Y-H-W-H. And if you're Jewish and if the name of God offends you, cover your ears. His name is Yahweh. Okay, and they usually say the Lord or Adonai to avoid saying the holy name. Anyway, so yeah, that God, the God of the Bible, his original name was Baal. And Baal just means king or God or Lord. But by the time of the writing of much of the Old Testament, Baal is a fertility God worshipped by the Canaanites. There is some evidence that the God, again, cover your ears if you're sensitive to Hashem, to the name, the God Yahweh, the Hebrew God, um, was part of an ancient pantheon of pre-Hebrew gods. I know that's controversial to say, but there is some evidence for it. All right, so Baal now is a fertility God worshipped by the Canaanites. And finally, that God, of course, became a demon in Jewish belief. Now, um, the name Berut, Berit, we don't know where it comes from, uh, but it could come from, um, well, in Hebrew it can mean the commandment or the, the, the covenant. But uh, there is a, um, another ancient Phoenician deity named Berut, or Berut, who was um, in what's now Lebanon. And this deity had children and basically had the sky and the earth. So it's a kind of a creation account. Um, and it was from the sky or the earth that gods were created, especially El of the Bible, Elohim El. Um, and in fact, the city of Beirut in Lebanon could come from this, Beirut, Berit, right? The covenant, interesting. But if you're not in the languages, you probably, probably find that kind of boring. Okay, 
Uh, Baal is also equated by some rabbis as the uh, Beelzebub, who is the lord of the flies, whom again I mentioned in previous episodes. The god of the Philistines, who is the lord of the flies. He was worshipped in the shape of a fly, and uh, Jewish tradition states that the Jews at some point, the Jewish people were uh, in this cult of Baal, of Beelzebub, and they carried a little image of this fly god in their pockets, and they took it out and kissed it for luck. Um, of course, that would be considered great blasphemy under the uh, Jewish religion. And so um, they were said to have made a, co a uh, um, covenant with this idol, with this god. And he was an, uh, an image of obscene idol idolatry to the Jews, the Beelzebub slash Baalberit, a symbol of idolatry. All right. Um, interesting enough, this is actually from Christian tradition, but this is very interesting because it's only from 1612. That's not that long ago. Uh, Father Sebastian Michaelis, Michaelis, he wrote about a nun in Aix-en-Provence in France, and this nun who was possessed. There were a lot of medieval nuns claimed to be possessed, by the way, by demons. And she was apparently possessed by Baalberit when she was asked, you know, the part of the exorcism, tell me your name in the day of your departure. The demon admitted that it was Baalberit, so supposedly possessed a nun. All right. Next kind of demon, Jewish demon, is a category called the Mazikin or the Mazikin. These are invisible demons, you don't see them, but they create annoyances to people, or sometimes even danger. And the word mazikim uh, simply means that the, those who harm people, the people who cause damage, or the ones who cause damage or harm. Um, these are invisible demons that you encounter in daily life, and you blame for all sorts of bad things in your life. <clears throat> they, in Jewish understanding, demons are under the authority of God, and Christian understandings too, that they can't do anything to you unless God allows it. So these mazikim are a form of God punishing sin. And they are both angelic and human. According to the Talmud, they have wings like angels, all right? They can fly quickly like angels or almost seem to teleport. They know the future like angels, can read minds, but they also are like humans in that they have to eat and drink and they eventually can die. And they actually can procreate, have children, so. Mazikim are supposed to be everywhere around us at all times. Um, there was a uh, medieval sage, Jewish sage, who said that they are more numerous than humans. In fact, they're all around us. Another uh, rabbi, um, another sage rabbi, medieval, says that every person has, quote, thousands of demons on each side, 1,000 to the left and 10,000 to the right. So that's kind of scary to think that you're surrounded by thousands and thousands of demons right now, all wanting to cause you trouble and harm, right? How do you know if mazikin are around? Well, you take ashes and you spread them, sprinkle around the floor, around your bed, because they haunt you at night. And then in the morning, you'll see footprints in the ashes. And often these footprints are bird-like because you're supposed to have the feet of a rooster. And so you wonder if in ancient times, when families kept roosters around, if that's actually what happened, or if these really demons are walking in the ashes. Also, you can get a black cat who's the firstborn black female cat of a firstborn black female cat, you take some of his hair, don't harm the cat, cut off the hair, burn the hair, grind it into ashes, then put the ashes in your eyes, that sounds painful, and then you're supposed to be able to see them as he keen. I don't want to try that and test that out. Not only because it would hurt, because I don't want to see them if they're really there. And then also they can be found in places like under ruins and deserted places and gutters. How do you protect yourself from them? Before you go to bed, you say the Shema prayer. This is a prayer from the Bible that, uh, in Hebrew, I'm going to try my best Hebrew pronunciation here. Shema Yisrael uh, Edonai um, Eloheinu Edonai Echad. So, 
uh, here, listen Israel, hear Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, all right, monotheism. Okay, if you're a Hebrew speaker, please pardon my horrible pronunciation. The next demon, Anepsigos, this is a fallen angel mentioned in the Testament of Solomon. And um, this demon is a female and lives in the moon, the, the woman on the moon, and can be conjured uh, into this world. In fact, uh, she gave a prophecy to King Solomon, who didn't believe it, so he bound her in chains, uh, which she, we don't know what happened after that. In the Testament of Solomon, she's an angel and then a fallen angel. She refers to herself as a goddess in the, in the Testament of Solomon, that writing, that uh, extra-canonical writing, and said, I undergo changes like the goddess I am called. So she was a shape-shifting goddess who then became an, uh, a demon. Um, what else to say about her? She has two heads. She's a woman. She's also associated with the Greek Kronos, uh, the god, or the, the Titan, the ancient Greek god, right? Kronos, who is, of course, the god of time. Interesting. Um, she is also a goddess of witchcraft. Many who practice witchcraft will invoke the name of Anepsigos. Mm, witches do this in caves. You can see in Epsigos just how complex Jewish demonic lore can be, right? I mean, my goodness, all this. She's a goddess, she's Kronos, she's the moon, she's in the moon, she changes forms, she's, you know, a demon. Wow. All right, next kind, a couple more kinds to go through, is the Seirim. Seirim. These are demons, and they come from the singular Sair, which is just the Hebrew word for a goat, a male goat. Demons are often associated with goats, aren't they? Huh, interesting. Sheep, good, goats, bad. We see that throughout religious tradition. Uh, however, in early Jewish thought, uh, the Seirim were also considered demons. They are considered to be very low, lowly creatures. And they're often, uh, we just talked about the, um, the Mazikin. They have some things in common with the Mazikin. Let me show you. So they uh, basically are there to kind of be trickster spirits. They're related to the, fa the fawns of Roman lore and, of course, the jinn, the genies of Arabic lore. And so um, it's translated sometimes goat demons in the uh, Hebrew Bible, goat demons. Uh, they're also um, mentioned in Leviticus uh, as an Assyrian demon, the, the nation of Assyria. Not Syria, but Assyria. So again, you can see other nations' gods become demons, right? And Israel is told, do not sacrifice to the Seirim. They are demon gods from other lands. So again, they, one man's demon is another man's god, right? Um, and what's interesting is that uh, some rabbis believe that the Seirim are only seen by people who are mentally ill, right? Who are uh, not in their right mind, I guess you might say. I don't want to sound offensive to that, mentally ill. And people uh, believe in them and start following them, and they pull them away from God. Very similar to the jinn in Arabic lore. Very, very similar. And the fawns, too, in Roman. Um, so, um, yeah, they attribute the people who are mentally ill, see them, and believe that they're like gods and start following them. All right, next, the Shedim. Perfect example of, of the um, demonification, uh, demonization, I guess is the word, of gods of other religions, because these were not so much pure demons as we understand them in the Western modern world today, but they are like creatures of illness. They cause illness, different, different diseases. And they were actually Shadim, not so much demigods or, or divine, but they were the gods of foreign nations. So it's also interesting that throughout the Bible you see, you see that 
the injunction not to worship other gods, but often they're portrayed as if they actually are real gods, just not the the high god, the one god. Not that they're fake, but that they're real, they're demonic. So yeah, these are gods of other religions, the Shadim. Mm, they also are associated with child sacrifice and animal sacrifice. Okay, um, They are supposed to be descendants of snakes, especially the snake in Eden, you know, the Adam and Eve and the snake. Uh, there, another view is that they are Lilith's children. Remember Lilith? Uh, a third says that, this is interesting, a third legend says that God created the um, Shadim on the sixth day, and then he started making them, but up oh, here comes the seventh day, got a rest on the Sabbath, so he just stopped making them, and he just left them as they were, imperfect. Mm, another idea is that they were uh, the ones helping to build the Tower of Babel. If you remember that story about the building the giant tower in heaven, God gets angry, confuses the languages of humankind. That's supposed to be the origin of our different languages, according to that tradition. And then finally, uh, they're sometimes uh, believed to be the children of Azazel, the demons Azazel and Naamah. Azazel is the demon associated with the scapegoat in the Old Testament. He was sent, the sins of the people were placed on the goat, sent to Azazel. All right, um, the Babylonian Talmud, remember the nation of Israel was exiled into Babylon for a long time. And so they picked up a lot of their traditions. In the Babylonian Talmud, in other words, the, the writing of rabbis who were in Babylon at the time, it says, quote, in three ways, they're like ministering angels. They have wings like ministering angels. They fly from one end of the world to the other like ministering angels. And they know what will be in the future like ministering angels. And in three ways, they're similar to humans also. They eat and drink, they multiply, and they die like humans, end quote. So they are very much like a couple of the, the, the Mazikin and others that are part human, part angel, but actually demon and trouble, troublemakers. They are also said to have the feet of a rooster and the same thing, sprinkle ashes around the bed, see if footprints show up in the morning. Uh, if so, then you're in big trouble, my friend. They can shapeshift, they can look like humans, and they also were some of the demons who helped King Solomon build the temple in the lore, in the legend. I want to end on a funny one, the Shulak. Shulak is the demon of the toilet. Ah, yes, the phantom of the toilet is there inside your intestine. I don't know. So the Shulak is the demon of the toilet. This comes from a Babylonian um, demon um, who is also in uh, the bathroom demon. And in Babylonian medicine, which is not, it's probably not so advanced at the time, <laughs> according to the understanding, you know, that, that long ago, it's considered uh, one of the things for doctors to look at. If the person was in the bathroom and something happened, then it was a shulak. They are uh, said to cause strokes while you're sitting in the toilet. <laughs> cause strokes. And the reason for this, kind of funny, Sometimes, you know, you're on the toilet, you kind of have to strain, and if you strain hard, you know, you can burst the blood vessel and have a stroke. So they were caused the demons of causing strokes while on the toilet. And also, there's a very ancient reference by the Hittites to a very, very similar demon, like the Shulak. In fact, uh, the name Shulak means dirty hands, right? <laughs> Makes sense. And um, this, it, it's upright like a man, but looks like a lion, okay? So it walks like a human, but looks like a lion. How do you protect yourself against the demon of the toilet? Well, you can carry a protective amulet that looks like a lion. You can recite spells. Often these little amulets, they look like um, uh, a lion god, I guess, called Urmah Lulu. I don't speak those ancient languages. Sometimes they're buried in the doorways or the lintel, the, you know, the door jam of, uh, of bathrooms. Sometimes drop down a drainage pipe. So they were supposed to protect you from um, the uh, shaluk. There's another very similar bathroom demon 
in the form of a goat called Shaid Beit Hakisit, the demon of the toilet. Uh, the rabbis taught this, uh, some rabbis taught this, when you use a bathroom and you're coming out of the bathroom, don't have sex until you walk a certain distance away from the bathroom because the demon of the bathroom sticks with you for that time. If you do have sex after, before that distance, your children will be epileptic. It's kind of the demon of strokes and epilepsy. <clears throat> so yeah, I guess I'll leave you with that. The demon of the toilet. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Like and subscribe. Tonight, if you really need to go to the bathroom, you know, you find yourself straining a little bit, watch out for the demon of the toilet. Watch out for the sulak because it will give you a stroke. Thanks for watching. And as always, sleep well if you can. Uh -huh.